for granting us this day, granting us this uh, ability, Lord, to come together and unite in your name. God, there are places around the world that we know that they have to fight for such a thing, that they have to go in the middle of the night, that they have to go uh, hiding themselves, just trying to come to gather with the brothers and sisters uh, in the name of Jesus. God, may we never treat that as common or look upon it as just something that just happens to happen, Lord. We, that has been a great privilege and honor that you have given us to do so easily here, Lord, especially in, in where we live. Lord, we ask then, Lord, that you be with us, convict us of our sins, reveal whatever's in our heart, Lord, that we don't see that's there, or maybe stuff we've been holding on to and we just don't want to admit it. Lord, help us repent of it. Give us assurance, Lord, that you love us even though we have sins in our life. You still love us anyways, that your son took all the wrath that we deserve and we can trust in you, that we can just rely upon your grace, upon blessings, upon blessings to know that our end will, will be okay because our end is with you. Help us to remember that and to live that out so we can... Live consistently this faith, Lord, that we, that we declare and believe in this world for the world to see and that they can know that you're a God who loves sinners and are bringing sinners to you, Lord, changing them, molding them into your son's image to be with you forever. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we're, gonna begin, we're beginning a new book. And this is going to be the book of 1 Thessalonians. And our title today then is The Impact of the Gospel. So this is kind of an intro into the, into the book and the idea. So ultimately then, it's an, there's an important question that we should be asking as we're being introduced into this book is what, why was it written? What's the overarching purpose of this book? Well, in a nutshell... Paul wrote this ultimately to encourage these Thessalonians in their salvation, to give them assurance of their salvation, and to point out that they were on the right path of faith in Christ and encourage them to trust in Jesus even more with everything, even if the world was against them for it. And this brings us to our first point. The gospel changes everything. See, the Christians in Thessalonica were facing hard times. They were dealing with persecution and suffering, not because of anything bad that they were doing, but because they, were, they believed in the gospel and they were beginning to live in that freedom that it provided and then starting to proclaim that freedom that it provided. And the people around them were questioning and challenging their new Christian beliefs as they just lived in society. Not that they were being annoying with it, they were just being Christians. For the believers were beginning to live against the grain of the culture. And the people around them were taking notes of these changes that the Lord was bringing about their lives. And the world around them was not for it, nor did they like it. And so what happens when the world does not like something you are doing? What happens when the world comes against you in which you're living in? Whether that's the big world or even the small world. You end up suffering for it. 
And when the world starts to openly, openly and very directly come against you, and the conflicts arrive and the rejection begins to set in day by day and the scowls, the mockery, the angry faces start to seem to be the only thing that you see at your, maybe your workplace, in the marketplace, or even in your family. And a constant suffering begins to be a common description of your life all because of your Christian beliefs. the great temptation starts to rear its ugly head and doubt and discouragement begin to come about in our life. It becomes very easy to start falling into a life that lives in doubt of the Christian faith with questions of, is it worth it? Is this whole Christianity really the right way of living? When the pressures of the world are setting in, the question comes, is Jesus really the way, the truth, and the life? When suffering hits our life in whatever capacity that is, because we've only been doing the quote-unquote right thing or declaring the right thing because we've been following after the Lord, after his ways, and it seems like all of our good deeds towards other people are just being punished, we can easily begin to regress within ourselves, live in defeat, live in discouragement, and regress back to our old ways of life before we knew Christ and try to, in vain, get a type of comfort or a sense of stability in our lives. But guess what? It never happens because you can't go back. Only Christ can do such things. Only Christ can, by focusing on him, even though we are suffering for his namesake, only he can bring those comforts and securities. And we will see that play out because that's what these Thessalonians were doing, even if it was imperfectly. They were, by faith, keeping their eyes upon Jesus Christ in all the hardships. And so Paul will encourage them all the more to continue to do so, despite the pressures of the world around them, trying to force them to stop. So then, as we, as we go through this book, he, uh, Paul will show and give us a deeper insight to what a life that has been freed by the gospel looks like, a life that has been freed from death and the power of sin, and has been given eternal life by faith in Christ. For though we Christians say we have eternal life, right, we believe it, we tend to forget the radical and great implications it has upon our life as we live here. For remember, this gospel's good news, not just for the future, but for now. It's the best news you will ever hear in a world that's just so full of bad news. And we need to constantly be reminded and encouraged in it every day because when we lose sight of it, Burdens, woes, and sin come rushing in and entangle us and exhaust us. So now that we have this general purpose, I want to highlight something else. We need to know that this group of believers were a brand new group of believers who were evangelized and established by personally by Paul and some others, as we'll see in a moment. But the main thing is, is that they haven't been established for a long time. 
For sadly, Paul and his friends were only able to be there for a very short time, for they were forced to leave the city because of how upset the people around them were becoming because of his preaching. And it was a quite a hostile place right from the very beginning, hostile to this freeing message of the gospel. Because again, the moment you bring the gospel into the scene of anything, things begin to change. Whether you realize it or not, it affects everything and everyone when that gospel message comes about. The gospel's powerful, for it's all about freeing people from the kingdom of darkness and transferring them into the eternal kingdom of life. There is no neutrality between the gospel and the world. There's a radical change, a radical difference. Two different directions. For the gospel shows God's fierce love for sinners and how committed he is in freeing them out, uh, freeing them out of the world by his grace alone, out of the world's, the world's uh, grasp of death to bring them into his family of life. For the gospel only gives life and the world only gives death. And you can read all about how this came about, um, how this gospel was, as it says in Acts 17, 6, was flipping the world upside down. In Thessalonica, if you want, by reading Acts chapter 17, 1 through 9, that's where this all began and who he's writing to. There you can see how Paul and others planted the church of Thessalonica and why he had to leave early. So again, just as a reminder, right, this church started in a hostile place. And that hostility seemed to not dampen because, because again, the gospel changes everything. And really, that hostility to the gospel and those who follow it has continued even today. Though for us currently, it's not as extreme no one's being dragged out into the streets as far as I know here where we live. It's always there in one way or another when we declare the good news and we actually live in that freedom. The world will always do its best to, to make you doubt that freedom that you have in the gospel. And really, and it, and it does its best to make you doubt Jesus completely and his grace. To make you think little of him in your life and his freeing message of grace. The world wants you and me to believe in the lie that there's no power in the gospel in our life, that it was only a story of history that has no consequences upon your life at all, that it has no consequences upon your relationships, your daily living, your habits, your thoughts, your emotion, your deeds, whatever. Because when you live by this gospel, things change and the world hates it. So though we may not be living in the same exact situation like the Thessalonians were in, like a one-for-one -one circumstance, we in principle still face the same issues as them, the pressures of the world that causes sufferings and temptations to not live in the freedom of Christ in all things. Now then, with all that in mind, let's look at our text and see what we can get from our, our, our passage today of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul says, Paul, Silvanus, uh, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Now, again, since this is an intro, I'm only going to focus on the words in verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And we'll get to the rest of the verse of 1 next week and so on. 
So I want to look at these greeting of names. And I want us to understand the significance of the fact, follow me here, the significance of the fact that we're looking at a letter to people, not a doctoral theological paper written for some high esteemed college university. With Paul placing his name here, as with others, this is revealing something very vitally important to these Thessalonians and to us that cannot or should not be overlooked. But it so commonly is nowadays. Now remember, Paul was only with him for a short time. And that means that these Christians were not so, putting it lightly, highly educated in all the things of the Christian faith. Okay? They were still figuring things out. I mean, really, you could say that of all the churches that Paul wrote to. But for now, it's important to know how young this church was in their faith and to realize Paul was writing to all the people there, not to a specifically theological trained doctorate level person. Now, why does that matter? Because this brings us to our second point. The gospel is for everyone. See, Paul was writing to believers for them to understand what he was writing to them by them reading it and hearing it. I know that sounds simple, but it is simple, and yet we make it so difficult. We need to understand that Paul here is writing to them to encourage them in their faith in Christ as they go about their daily life, and it's meant for them, for all of them, wherever they are in life. This letter is meant for all of them. Now, is, God, is God's word deep? Of course it is. Will we ever exhaust his word in our lifetime and master it? No, no way. The word masters you. You don't master it. And those scholars and pastors and teachers can go deep and deeper and deeper and deeper into the word. We must not forget Paul was writing this letter to not just pastors and teachers. He is writing this letters also to moms, to dads, to grandparents, to singles, to teens, to kids. He's writing this letter to people of all types so they can know Jesus and trust in Jesus when they hear it or read it. To put it bluntly, the word of God that, was, that we have was written for you to learn about Jesus and to grow your relationship with him by faith alone. This word we have is meant for you to dwell on, meditate on, to read, to ponder, to converse about, so that you can have, by faith, a sweeter fellowship with your Jesus, no matter who or what stage your life is as a Christian. God's word will meet you wherever you are in your life. For the gospel is for you wherever you are in your life. And the, all the word, all the word, everything you read in there ultimately will always point you back to the gospel. The word was given to Christians of all types to give us the foundational truths and teachings of the Christian faith so we can grow in trusting our Savior, his gospel, more and more every day by faith alone in him. So by putting the name Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, it is as if Paul was standing there all over again, greeting, his, greeting the believers one by one, speaking to them one by one, eyeball to eyeball with this letter. For its message was written to all of them, whether they were scholarly or not. 
So I highly encourage you, church, to not be intimidated by the word of God as to not read it or listen to it audibly, right? You have apps, you have CDs. And to be intimidated thinking that you're not educated enough or mature enough or even that you don't have the focus power or time to approach it. That's a lie from the world. That's a lie from whoever has told you such a thing to keep you away from knowing your Jesus more and enjoying his sweet fellowship with you. So be encouraged to read his word or listen to it, for it will and it does make a difference in your life. It was given and written to us to be read and heard audibly. And through faith in Christ, guess what? God will speak to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will speak by his word to you to remind you of your salvation and to give you rest and to remind you of the rest that you have in Christ from your sins. If you're struggling with sin, just read the word of God. Your sin, you'll realize that, wait, that sin has been forgiven. And it'll give you rest even though you're so discouraged by it. You'll know that my sin is not my end. Now then, who exactly is Sylvanus? And Timothy, and why are they in this greeting with Paul? And why in the world does it matter? Why focus on just the three names? Jonathan, come on. This brings us to our last point. The gospel unites people of all types. This is what the impact, of, or, or some of the things that the impact of the gospel does. When you bring it about. It changes, it's for everyone, and it brings people together. So very briefly then, Sylvanus, who was also known as Silas, in the, and you'll see that in the book of Acts and other places in Scripture, he has two names that he went by, just like Paul. Paul, who was also known as Saul. They had two names, for both Paul and Sylvanus were Jews, and they had Greek rendering of their Hebrew names because of the Roman government that they lived in at that time. It was just common amongst Jews to at least have two names, a Hebrew one and a Greek one. But anyway... Sylvanus joined Paul initially in his missionary journeys to preach the word of God. And you can see that in Acts chapter 15, verse 40. He was a prophet of the time, as Acts 15, 22 states, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets. And so this prophet joined the apostle Paul in laying down the foundation of the faith, which we now have fully as Paul stated later in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. There's two of them we're reading about right now. Christ Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We have everything we need now. There's no more prophets, there's no more apostles. We have what we need here. It's been built. Christ himself being the cornerstone. So, as they were on this mission... Found, laying down the foundations. They founded, they, I'm sorry, they founded, they found and added to their group an, just an ordinary young Christian man who was Jewish and Greek. Not just a Jew. These guys were Jews. This guy was Jewish and Greek. And his name was Timothy. And you can read all about it when they brought him along. You can see that in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Timothy then became very close and a very dear disciple 
of Paul for the rest of Paul's life, even though Sylvanus was out of the picture for whatever reason, and apparently he teamed up with Peter. But whatever, for whatever reason, Timothy, though, was always with Paul and almost like a son to Paul throughout his life. So why the greeting of the three? Well, they all three had a major part in the life of the Thessalonians in knowing Christ, and all three had great investment in ministering to them. Again, why does this matter? Well, on a very, very practical level, these three men united together reveals to all of us that no matter how seemingly little we have in common with our Christian brothers and sisters, no matter how different our backgrounds are, no matter our age differences, no matter how seemingly we have our natural barriers of just life, in Christ, all those things are abolished between us so we can, as a team, if you will, unite together in accomplishing God's will and mission in this world. For Paul was an old, highly educated man with a horrible past and a horrible reputation to that matter. Sylvanus was a strong, upcoming leader. As it says in Acts 15, 22. And Timothy was a timid young man with no formal training. And yet God brought them together to accomplish much for his name. So what's being modeled here is that ministry is not just a you thing, but a we thing, a together thing, all of you thing. See, through their close fellowship, they were able to make significant impacts upon people for the Lord. And more specifically for our contacts, a, a great impact upon the Thessalonians in such a hostile environment. God used them, including Timothy, okay, this young man, including Timothy with no formal office. He was just a dude following around Paul. He didn't have a formal office like an apostle or prophet. But God used Timothy also to bring people to Jesus and encourage people in Jesus. And here's the thing. Their camaraderie here is not unique. It's not unique to them, but it's for all of us today to reach people for Jesus. God is still uniting us just the same way. You are united. You're here. You just don't realize it. For all of us in this room who believe in Jesus Christ can and should work together to reach our families, our city, our nation, and the world for Christ, no matter how seemingly unapproachable it seems or how, or how hostile the situation or person or place may be. When we work together as a team, as one body of believers, when we have this team mindset that we're all in this together for the sake of Christ and Him to be magnified, 
And it's not just a pastor thing, a deacon, th- a deacon thing, or some particular ministry thing. But no, it's an us thing. It's our church thing. No matter what's going on in our church. Major gospel impact will happen to the world around us and even amongst ourselves. See, no matter our differences, no matter our age gaps, no matter what sin we're struggling with in our own life, no matter our level of education in the Word of God, no matter our current circumstances of life, the good, the bad, or the ugly, or the indifferent, no matter if we're married, no matter if, no matter if we're single, no matter if we're just a kid, no matter if you are physically healthy or if you have major physical and mental Ill, uh, sickness, through faith in Christ, it doesn't matter. We can be one team for his name to overcome anything that would separate us in working together to reach people for Jesus and encouraging one another in Jesus. For we can encourage each other emotionally, help each other physically, bless each other with our differentiating gifts, and bless each other with our prayers to uplift one another in the Lord so we can reach people for Christ. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. What matters is Christ. And He's done it all. And as we unite together in Christ, and for Christ, delivering the gospel to each other, that's important, to each other, and those around us, lives will be changed, even our own. Just like these three men who were used by the Lord in ministering to these Thessalonians, who were still pursuing Christ by faith, even though the world was against them. Now, were they a perfect church? No. Did, did the believers in, in Thessalonica have no issues or struggles or even misconceptions about the faith? Of course not. They had, they had issues just like all the other churches we'll, we will see. Just like us. We all, have, we all have issues and problems. No one's perfect here. If you are, sorry, this is not the church for you. But nonetheless, and, and we'll see those things that they have, those misconceptions. But nonetheless, the greater picture is that I, what I want us to really see today is that there is power in the gospel message to bring people together who would never gather together and unite and unite them to bring freedom and forgiveness and salvation to those who are trapped in darkness, including ourselves who may be getting back to be trapped. There's something that happens when we unite under the gospel. And God uses sinners such as you and I to do it. He didn't use perfect people. He didn't use the spiritual elite. For Paul himself, you're like, wait a minute, what about Paul? For Paul himself persecuted the church originally, and even after then he came to faith, he still said that he's the least of all the saints. That means you guys. And that he was the chief of sinners. That means you guys. Even Timothy had huge struggles in dealing with fear and discouragement throughout his whole life. But because of what Jesus Christ had accomplished for them and accomplished for us upon the cross, such wonders of unity and true change and true hope and true purpose can come about 
in their lives. It can come about in our lives. And it can come about in the lives of others by all of us resting in Christ's finished works on our behalf. See, this gospel that, that Jesus loves sinners so much that he came and he died for us, he took the punishment for our sins, the eternal wrath that we deserve, and in exchange he then granted us through declaration his righteousness by faith alone in him. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death that we deserve, that he came back to life to give what we could not earn. He did everything for us so that we can rest in him and become his united trophies of grace to a fallen world and say, come, all are welcomed. Not because we are qualified for such a task in and of ourselves, but because by faith in Christ, he has earned and has attained all, the all of the qualifications for us by faith alone in him. And so it is because of him and him alone that we can unite together in his name to reach the lost. And to encourage one another. And to say to all, including ourselves, that there is hope for the rundown and the defeated. There is hope for the wretched and the perverse. There is hope for liars and cheats. There is hope for the angry and distraught. There is hope for the lonely and prideful. There is hope for sinners. For we are sinners who have been saved by His grace alone through faith in Christ, and His grace never runs out over us, even though we still sin against Him. His love never ends. And he never lets us go. This is the good news. It is finished in Christ. And that's the message we live by and the message we encourage each other in and the message we bring to the world around us that impacts the world. So let us, by faith alone in Christ, let us team up, church, like Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy for the sake of Christ and let the gospel impact us and the world around us as we live our lives. Amen, church? Amen. So then, with all of that, let us go to the Lord in prayer and repent of, of anything that's holding us back. Repent of our sins. Repent of it all, saying, Lord, I need you in my life. I can't do it on my own. I never could in the first place. Let me repent in thinking I could have, thinking that it's on me. You could never do it in the first place, church. Only Christ can, and he does through you by faith in him alone. And if you're having struggles today in whatever area of your life, know that there is rest for you by trusting in Jesus, and there is forgiveness. So I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward. You can pray with them. You can pray at your, at your, at your own place. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. asking you to remind us of the rest that we have in you. Lord, help us realize that we don't have to work for any of this, but by trusting in you, Lord, you will produce what needs to be produced within us. Help us, Lord, to stop trying to obtain these changes in other people's lives and trying to obtain a change in our own lives and then becoming intimidated and defeated by it. Lord, remind us that all is taken care of by faith in you. Remind us by keeping the focus on you 
everything will just end up working out. That it's not about our expectations. It's about what you have accomplished through your son who met all the expectations of you. Help us remember that we are saved. And God, I pray if someone doesn't know you here today, that you will grant them that repentance, Lord, to turn from their ways, to turn from looking at themselves and to turn towards your son, Jesus, and rely upon him. Remind us of ourselves, Lord, that that's, that's what Christianity is about. It's about looking to Jesus and saying, he did it all. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Sing together, church.